Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Take your Bibles, turn over to uh, John chapter 9, the Gospel of John chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at an interesting story uh, concerning Jesus and a blind man that really raises the question, who's really blind? Now, you probably have encountered people before that think they know everything about everything. Can't tell them anything. Uh, they've got the world all figured out, and that's just the way that it is. Well, that attitude starts very young in life, I found out. When my kids were about five and seven or something, we were coming back from Virginia to uh, Kentucky uh, to see my mom and dad. And we were getting ready to get on the West Virginia Turnpike, and we were at a gas station. I told the kids, I said, now listen. I said, it's an hour and a half to the next stop. I said, we are on a turnpike. There is nowhere to get off. If you have to go to the bathroom, go right now. And they both insist, we don't have to go to the bathroom. And I said, look, it's going to be an hour and a half. Just go ahead and try to go anyway. And they both resisted. No, 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 we don't have to go. We're not going to go to the bathroom. Finally said, okay, fine. Get in the car. We get down 15 minutes down the road. It's like a classic movie. They're both going, man, we've got to go to the bathroom so bad. And I said, well, you didn't have to go five minutes ago, so you can hold it for an hour. And they're no, no, we've got to stop right now. It's an emergency. And so we have to pull off the side of the road, and they have to go to the bathroom there because somehow they had to go to the bathroom in that 10-minute stretch, and it couldn't wait any longer. We're the exact same way when it comes to God sometimes. We think we understand everything about God. We know all there is to know about God, and there's really nothing anybody can teach us. We've got God all figured out. He's in our little box, and nobody's going to challenge our view of God. And that brings us over to John chapter 9, where the first thing we see is this. When God shows up, he will always challenge your limited view of the world. When God shows up, he will always challenge your limited view of the world. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, this is Jesus and his disciples, he saw a blind man, a man who had been born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So right there you see the, 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 what they think about God and what they think about people who have illnesses or something. In that day and age, if you were really sick, what people believed is, well, it must be some kind of a curse from God. And if you were born with it, then either you sinned or maybe even worse, your parents sinned and you're just under your parents' curse. And so one of the disciples, trying to act like he's a good theologian, says to Jesus, well, who sinned? This man born blind or did his parents sin? Trying to get Jesus to engage him in this theological discussion here. So that's his worldview right there. If you're sick, if you've got problems, it's because you must have done something wrong. You must have sinned and God is judging you. In verse 3, Jesus said, Neither did this man sin nor his parents. This happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus said, neither one of them sinned. This has nothing to do with sin, the fact that this man was born blind. As a matter of fact, today God's glory is going to be seen in this man. So it's the exact opposite of what they thought. Their worldview is, if you're sick or have troubles or problems, you're under God's curse. 
What God was saying is, no, this is a child loved by God, and God's glory is going to be seen in him today. The exact opposite of the viewpoint of the world of that day. But they had their idea about God, and they were playing it out, and Jesus was now challenging that view of God. So let's see what Jesus does to this man afterwards. Look down to verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes, and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So Jesus does something a little gross. He bends down the ground, spits in the mud, makes a little mud pie, sticks it on the guy's eyes. Now, you could say, ooh, you know, whatever. Well, spit was considered to have some medicinal value, so it wouldn't have been quite as gross back then. And then he puts it on the guy's eyes, and he says, hey, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, it's interesting in the scriptures that every time Jesus does a healing, they're almost never the same. And you know why they're almost never the same? Because people aren't the same. And so Jesus taught, treated each person individually. And so he does this. The guy goes wash, washes in the pool of Siloam. And as soon as he does, he can see. Now, again, this challenges their mindset. They've got the world figured out. They think, you know, the world we live in, I've got it figured out. You know, this is the way it operates. You know, there's no such thing as blind people suddenly being able to see because you're spitting mud or something like that. And, and, and so they've got their world figured out. Now, suddenly, their whole world is changing. And when their limited view of the world is changing, people step up and people notice. Continue to read. Look what happens in verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging ask, Is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others says, No, he just looks like him. But the man insisted, No, I'm him. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and wash, and I went and washed, and then I could see. Where's the man, they ask, And he said, I don't know. So everybody's amazed now. Everybody's talking about it. Because when God shows up and when God does something, he gets people's attention. You see, what we see mostly today is churches doing things that the people in the church can do. And so when the world looks at it, they say things like this. If you've got a church with a lot of people involved and doing great things, great stuff out there, they'll say, man, that's the hardest working church I've ever seen in my life. Or there's some really active people. Or they've got some nice ministries in the community. They're really helping some people. But when God shows up, that's not what you hear. When God shows up, what you hear is, wow, that's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like that before. That goes beyond my limited expectation of the church and God and what was going to happen. So many times we limit God and we put him in this little box and we limit God to our wisdom and our power and we never see God do great things. And yet we have an unlimited, all-powerful God and we try to hold him back and restrain him because we're afraid of what a God in the wild might look like. And that's exactly what's going on in their scripture passage here. When the people saw what was going on, they were amazed. God had shown up. God had worked. And they couldn't believe what they were seeing. And that brings us to the second thing that we see in our scripture passage. Often we don't see God working because we think we already have him figured out. We often don't see God working because we think we have it figured out. Okay, I know everything there is to know about God. I understand how this world works. I don't always like the world. There's some good, there's some bad, but I figured it out. I can navigate it. I can get through my day and I know how the world works. 
But when God shows up, it challenges all of our views and all of our little understanding of the world because God seldom operates in our box. And so when this man is healed, it goes against the general train of thought of the day. Miracles don't happen. Uh, You can't see the things that are going on here. This man is a sinner because he's born blind. And the religious leaders, let's see their reaction in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opens the man's eyes was a Sabbath day. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. And he said, he put mud on my eyes. The man replied, I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a man perform such signs? And they were divided. So for the Pharisees, this was their view of the world. The man is a sinner because he's born blind and he's under a curse. That's the first thing. Second, you don't work on the Sabbath day. You don't do any work on the Sabbath day. Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath day. Therefore, Jesus worked. Therefore, Jesus is a bad guy. That's their whole view of the world right now. That's their understanding of God. The guy's a sinner. Jesus is a lawbreaker. He's a bad guy. So they've got it all figured out right now on what's going on. Now, there luckily was a disagreement among them. Uh, Some of the clearer thinkers said, we've never seen anything like this. It's got to be a miracle. But for the majority, uh, they were saying, look, this isn't how the world works. This isn't how God works. Therefore, Jesus must be a bad person. So here is the Son of God doing a mighty miracle, and the people that are resisting it the most are the religious leaders who are the closest to God. Does that seem strange to you that the people resisting a miracle from the Son of God are the main religious leaders? But do you know why? Because they think they're so smart. They've studied God. They've read the Bible. They've got God all figured out. And when something God does goes outside of their limited view of God, it it messes with their theology. They don't like it, and though they recoil from it. Now, I'm here to tell you something. I don't care if you're a pastor or a deacon or a denominational leader or some great evangelist. If you think you know everything there is to know about God, it shows how limited and immature you are when it comes to God instead of how close you are to God. Because we are never going to have God figured out. We talk about the omni-characteristics of God all the time. God is, is, uh, is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Are you all powerful? I don't think so. Uh, He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. You you won't be able to find your car keys when you get ready to leave here. You'll be looking uh, in your purse for the next 20 minutes. He's omnipresent. He's present everywhere all the time. The omni-qualities of God. And then we think we've got God figured out. Some of the greatest people in the Bible, this is what they said about God. Paul said, when it comes to the things of God, I look through a glass darkly. So Paul says, I don't understand anything about God. Paul wrote half the New Testament. And he said, my best understanding of God's like looking through a glass darkly. And then Peter said, I don't understand anything Paul writes. So he's worse off than Paul, you know, when, when it comes there. He has no idea at all what, what, what's going on. Uh, and he's readily admitting it. Moses said, I want to see God. And he just saw a glimpse of God's back, we're told. And his face shined for the rest of his life. And God said, if I would have revealed more of my glory to you, it would have blown your mind and you wouldn't be able to take it. And then we think we understand everything there is to know about that God. 
We're going to look for our car in the parking lot. Where did I find? But you can understand an unlimited, all-powerful, all-present God. The problem Baptists have sometimes is that we're very analytical. We, we are so against mysticism and, 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 uh, and the awe of God that we've lost what it means to just stand before God's holiness and be amazed. So we try to understand everything about the Bible and we try to dissect God. And what ends up happening is we lose some of the awe and the mystery and the wonder of who God really is. And so God's wanting to work all the time in our life and do things, but we miss him because we put him in this little box and we think we've got him all figured out. Joshua Bell is one of the uh, leading violinists in the entire world. Uh, He charges $75,000 a concert. I just want to give two or three a year and I'd be done. You know, that would be me. Well, he had an experiment that he did a, a while back. He went on the subway in Washington, D.C. during rush hour where literally thousands of people were coming by. He brought his prized violin, a $3.5 million Stradivarius violin. And he sat down in the subway and he played the most intricate violin piece that he could find that had ever been written on a $3.5 million instrument. In the next hour... Seven people slowed down to listen, and one person put a dollar in a cup. While thousands rushed by as a world-famous violinist played before them on an unbelievably expensive instrument. Why? Because it didn't fit their model of what was supposed to happen on the subway. We know what happens on the subway. We're going from point A to point B. We're trying to get home. It's been a long day's work. We're tired. And every once in a while, there's some homeless guy playing his guitar, and you throw a quarter in. So they had it all figured out, not knowing that a world-class musician on an unbelievable, valuable instrument was playing right there in front of them, and they totally missed it. And the point of that is that's what happens between us and God all the time where God is showing up and he's trying to teach us something through another person that we're not even going to listen to because we don't respect them or care about them or even notice them. Or there are going to be events and things that happen that God puts before us where significant uh, differences can be made, where we can help someone, where we can encourage someone, build someone up, and we're going to totally miss it because we've got God here and we know what's going on. I'm in the restaurant so that I can get some food because I'm hungry and I'm not even going to notice the waitress and what's going on in her life and see that her heart is praying apart because I'm too busy with my meal right now. And so we totally miss God working all around us all the time because we think we have God all figured out. And that brings us to the next thing that we see in our scripture. When our limited worldview is challenged, we react negatively. When our view of God is challenged, that little box we have him in, most people don't respond positively. When you say, okay, I know this is what you think about God. I know this is a little box you've got God in. God's a little bit greater than that. We don't like to hear that because it messes with our view of the world. It messes with our comfort level. And so we respond negatively. Let's see how that happens. Look down to verse 17. Verse 17. Verse 17, then they turned again to the blind man, this is the Pharisees, and they said, what have you to say about it? it? Who opened your eyes? 
And the, remind, the man replied, he is a prophet. And they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one that says he was blind? How is it that he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. Let him speak for himself. So they've challenged the Pharisees' orthodoxy here. Uh, there's a miracle. Miracles don't happen. Uh, not only was there a miracle, uh, but a sinner uh, has now been shown God's grace and love. All of that challenged them. So first they call the guy in. What happened? He tells them, well, we don't even believe you're blind. And so they call his parents in. Is he really blind? And the parents said, yes, he was born blind. And they said, how is he saved? Now the parents are afraid of them. And they said, we don't know how he was saved. He's of age. Ask him. So now here's this guy who was saved, and suddenly the religious leaders are against him. His own parents uh, are afraid of what might happen if they support him because the Pharisees don't like their orthodoxy being challenged at this particular point. Let's keep reading down to verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Okay. So now they're back to that again. He worked on the Sabbath day. You don't work on the Sabbath day. Therefore, he's a bad guy. He's a sinner. That's their view of the world. So they say, okay, then God's the one that saved you. Give God glory. The guy that saved you, that did this, he's a bad guy. He's a sinner. Verse 25, the blind man replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Only one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see And they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already and you won't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And they hurled insults at him. You were this fellow's disciples. We're the disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from? He opened my eyes. We know God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to godly people who do his will. Nobody's ever heard in all of history of someone open the eyes of a man who is blind. If it wasn't from God, it couldn't be done. And they replied to him, you were born in sin and you're going to lecture us? Do you see how even a miracle of God that is so obvious that can't be denied, they won't let it interfere with their view of God? They won't let God be great. They won't let God do anything outside of their box. So they make every argument we've just said. He worked on the Sabbath. He's bad. No, we did a miracle. Don't don't you try to teach us. You were born in sin. And so they keep falling back, going inside their shell into their box. People don't like it when you make them get out of their box with God. It's not comfortable. But I'm here to tell you, when God calls you to do something great, when God moves, it's never going to be what you expect, and it's always going to be something that takes you out of your comfort zone. Think about some of the stories of the Bible. You're Moses. The Egyptian army's coming down the hill after you. They're going to slaughter you and everybody there, the most powerful army in the world. And you say, God, I don't know what to do. Help us. And he says, move forward. What was the problem with moving forward? There's an ocean there. And God parted the Red Sea. If you were Moses, would that have been a part of your military tactics? Well, let's see. The Egyptians will come down and I'll part the waters and we'll go through. What about Joshua? 
Joshua has done all of this intelligence, sent all these spies in. He's trying to figure out how to breach the walls of Jericho. And God tells him, march around the city one time for seven days. And then after seven days, march around it seven times. That was God's battle plan. And Joshua said, well, okay. And then he said, the seventh day, blow your horns. They blow the horns and the walls fall down. Was that a part of Joshua's battle plan? I don't think so. What about somebody like Jonah? I've got God figured out. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I'd rather kill myself and he jumps off a boat to kill himself. What's God do? Creates a great fish that swallows him up. Was that in Jonah's limited view of God? I don't think so. How about Peter who steps out onto the water and walks on water? Was that something he was expecting to do that day? No. How about a blind man at the pool of Siloam that some guy spits on the ground and puts mud on his eyes and says, now go wash in the, in the water, and then he's healed. God's not going to work the way you plan because God is great and powerful and doesn't see the world the way that you see it. And when we let God be God, that's when we start seeing amazing things. But we react negatively when anybody begins to challenge our limited view of God, and that's what's going on in our scripture passage. The man's now been kicked out of the synagogue. His parents have turned against him, all because Jesus healed him. And it challenged their view of God and, their, and the great, true greatness of God. I remember several years ago, the first church I pastored, a lady had invited me over for dinner with her family before church on Sunday night. And uh, when I got there, she said, my sister's eating with us tonight. And I said, oh, great. And I, and I said, how are you? And she said, how am I? I'm okay. Uh, It's more concerned about how you are. And I said, well, thank you. I'm fine. And she says, are you fine? And I said, "Uh, you want to tell me something here? And she says, why do you play instruments in your church? There's not an instrument in the entire New Testament. And I said, well, you know, uh, we play instruments in our church because instruments are throughout the Bible. And she goes, not in the New Testament. There's not an instrument anywhere in the New Testament. You are breaking the word of God and going against the word of God. That's the first time I met this woman. And I said, well, can you just pass the potatoes? You know, what was it? well, let's go, let's default to that or something. And, and she said, give me one scripture in the Bible. And so I said, I started naming her scripture. She goes, Old Testament. We don't follow the Old Testament. We follow the New Testament. And I said, well, it's a big book and the Old Testament's a part of it. You know, so you're supposed, to, you're supposed to read that too. And she goes, give me a New Testament verse. And I said, how about this? He sang songs, sang songs, psalms, and spiritual hymns. She goes, not an instrument, Minson. And I said, psalms. It says sing psalms. Go to the psalms. There are instruments mentioned in almost every psalm. And she said, why do you Baptists add to the word of God? And finally, this is what I figured. I wasn't going to win this argument, no matter what I said. And so I just said, so where did you grow up? (laughs) Tried to change the subject and get her off of it. And finally, she said, well, I just want you to know this. I don't mind having supper with you, but there's no way I would attend a church that doesn't believe the Bible. And I said, okay, fine, whatever. You know, let's just get it over with. You know, I'm getting some indigestion here as we're going on. There was nothing I could have said. If I would have found a scripture, John 3.12, I have no idea what John 3.12 said, that said, and he played a guitar, a drum, a banjo, and, and the accordion. She would have said, oh, yeah, 
well, it didn't say he played it in New Testament times or something, you know, whatever. You know, there was nothing you were going to do to change that. Now, here's the point of that story. We're that way with God all the time, though. God, don't challenge what I think about you. God, don't challenge my view of the world. And yet, if God's going to work, he's going to constantly be challenging you. You're never going to be comfortable because your God is an awesome God. He is a mighty God. And if you think you've got him figured out, you're wrong. And that brings us to the last thing that we see, and that's this. When we finally get around to the place of understanding, if, we, if we're open and seeking, we'll see God do great things. If we're open and seeking, we'll see God do great things. So this poor man, he's now able to see, but his parents have rejected him. The religious leaders who kicked him out of the synagogue all because he was healed that day. Look down to verse 35. Jesus heard they'd thrown the man out of the synagogue, and he went to find him. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, isn't that an interesting question? Again, not the way God was supposed to act. What was he supposed to say? Man, I'm really sorry that all this bad stuff's happened to you. Sorry they kicked you out of the synagogue. I was just trying to help you, you know, uh, know, all that stuff. No, he walks up to the guy and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, who is he, sir? Tell me, I want to believe. And Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. The first healing was a physical healing. The second healing was a spiritual healing. Where the man found a new relationship with God and a new closeness with God. But then look at what Jesus says after this, down in verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world. The blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And some of the Pharisees who were standing by heard him said this and said, Are you saying we're blind? And Jesus said, No. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now you claim you can see, and your sin remains. Really interesting. So what does Jesus say? He says, okay, look at it. This man was blind. He now sees. But there's a lot of people who think they see that are really blind. And the Pharisees, are you saying we're the bad people? Are you saying that we're the sinners? And Jesus said, no, if you had been born blind, it had nothing to do with sin. Challenging the very first thing they thought about the guy. It has nothing to do with sin. He said, your sin comes from the fact that God's doing amazing things in front of you and you won't even recognize it or see it. How many times is God trying to do amazing things in your life, in your family, in your church, and you won't let him because of your limited view of God? When God shows up, amazing things begin to happen. There's a lady by Rosemary that lived in North Carolina who, after the tsunami in Indonesia, uh, really began to feel... Uh, like, like, you know, she was really hurting for the people of that area. 170,000 people died in that tsunami. The worst in Aceh province, uh, which is uh, an area controlled by Islamic extremists. And she was a nurse and really felt like she wanted to do something to help and kept praying about it. And she told her husband, she said, I just feel like God is calling me to do something there. And he said, well, see what you can do. So she called the International Mission Board, said, is there, are there any trips for medical people going over? I want to be involved. And they said, well, we've only got one trip right now. We see if we can get you on it. They called her back and said, trip's full, nothing we can do. Maybe later on, uh, you know, there's something you do to help. 
She went to church at night, prayed with her Bible study groups, and I just really feel like this is what I was supposed to do. And they all prayed with her, and they said, we kind of feel the same way now. And so they prayed, God, help her get to Indonesia somehow. She went back home, and there's a, a buzz on her answering machine. She checked her voicemail, and it said, a lady's just dropped out who is a nurse. You can go if you want to go. We leave in nine days. It's $4,000 if you want to go. Well, they had no money saved at all. So she began to call some friends and neighbors and say, hey, I need to raise $4,000 in a week. She'd raise $5,000 in two days. And I was able to help other people on the mission trip as well. She got there and was overwhelmed by the people and the things that were there. And she never left Indonesia. And today, both her and her husband are full-time missionaries in Indonesia and have led dozens of people uh, to the Lord through her ministry as a nurse. Those are the kind of things that you can't figure out on your own. They're the kind of things that you have to look back and say, that's a God thing. You ever anybody said before that was just a God thing? We don't see enough God things because we think we've got God all figured out. But when we put aside all of those things, we'll start seeing God things all around us. You won't go through a day that you won't see somebody that you can learn something from, someone that you can help, uh, something that God is going to teach you along the way. Through all of the different events of your life, the good and the bad, God's constantly going to be there wanting to pull you and teach you and do great things. But we've got to be willing to let God be God. He's awesome. He's mysterious. He's all-powerful. You're never going to figure him out. It's always going to be a little scary to step out with God. But when you do, you'll see amazing things and you'll never want to go back to your God in a box again. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that even though we think we've got you all figured out, sometimes you don't leave us there. You continue to push us and prod us and challenge us. And my prayer this morning, dear Lord, is that we would not limit you, but open ourselves up to all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to this time of invitation where you're being invited to what God says to you. And during this time, there's several decisions that you can make. One is just right where you're standing as you're saying, just say, Lord, help me to have new eyes this week. Help me not to have the world figured out, but to walk out into the world saying, you're going to do something today. You're going to do something in my life. You're going to help bring somebody for me to help, somebody for me to learn from. And you're going to start looking at the world in an entirely different way. And just pray for God to give you a new set of eyes for him today. Maybe you're here today and you've got problems and things going on in your life, which we all do. And you just want to come pray at this altar. We have ministers that would love to pray with you. To come and say, I want to join this church and be a part of what this church is doing in this community and this world. And the most important thing you could ever do is to come down and say, I want Jesus Christ in my life. I want to follow him as Lord and Savior. To take that risk. To step forward and say, God, are you really who you say you are? And step out and make that risk for him. But this is your time and your opportunity. So we stand together and we sing.
greatest persecution in the history of the world of Christians is taking place right now throughout the world. Greatest persecution. More people losing their lives and being persecuted at this time than any other time in history. But did you also know that the greatest revival of Christianity in the history of the world is going on right now? And do you know the only place it's not happening? North America and Western Europe. Those are the only places. Asia, Africa, in in the Middle East, it's off the charts what God is doing. So why is it not happening in Western Europe and North America? Because Christianity has become cultural. 
It's become a part of who we are. We've got God figured out, and God and church are just a part of life instead of it being an amazing thing going on in the midst of persecution. God wants to do great things, but until we unleash him and stop trying to hold him back, he's never going to be able to work in your life or in your church. But your God is an awesome God, and we need to open our arms to him and be amazed at what he's going to do. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you so much uh, that you love us. Thank you so much that you, you want to do things in our life and in our families and in our church and in our country. Father, help us to not limit you by our lack of faith and truly how great you are, but to begin to see you do great things as we open our hearts and minds to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you. hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word. Thank you.